time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Just 
everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program. We're going to be talking about uh, prostate cancer and some of the disparities um, surrounding prostate cancer and its impact on uh, uh, specifically uh, black men in America. And we're going to talk with surgeon and urologist Dr. Arnold Bullock and uh, radiation oncologist Dr. Lannis Hall. They join me now by phone. And uh, doctors, welcome to the show. Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity to discuss this very important topic of prostate cancer. Well, let's talk about prostate cancer, and then let's talk about the disparities with regard to race. Um, what exactly is prostate cancer? So, prostate cancer, well, well, let's start off by first saying what the prostate is. 
The prostate is an associate sexual organ that's located just under your urinary bladder. The prostate is only in men. The purpose of the prostate is to produce a lot of the elements that help support sperm um, for fertilization. So the prostate is a reproductive organ. Um, and the urinary tube, the urethra, travels from the bladder right through the prostate, and then the urine flows through the penis to the outside. So cancer in the prostate is the most common cancer that an American man can get. It accounts for one-third of all cancers in American men, and it is the second leading cause of cancer death. And so how common is this? Well, well over 250,000 men are expected to be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, and about 33,000 men are expected to die of the disease. So it, it is a major health problem for men. And the fatality rate, is that, um, is, is that reducible by early, early diagnosis and treatment? Absolutely. So all men, um, since about the ni 1993, have had a steady reduction in prostate cancer death. Um, and in fact, African-American men who have the highest incidence of prostate cancer in the country and the uh, a mortality rate that's over double any other ethnic and racial group have had a 50% reduction in mortality during what we call the PSA era, when you are able to screen for prostate cancer and detect it early. So this simple blood test that we will talk about a little bit more uh, has been uh, revolutionary in changing the stage at diagnosis of this disease, where prior to the PSA, most men, over 50% of African-American men, presented with advanced disease or metastatic incurable incurable disease because it had spread to other organs. Is that because men historically have been sort of reluctant to uh, get in um, for regular checkups? No. So the problem with prostate cancer, and truth be told, the problem for most cancers is that most cancers, when they're in a very early stage, when they're most curable, they have no symptoms. So um, prior to this wonderful PSA test, um, men would not even know they had prostate cancer because our only means of detecting it was by a finger exam feeling the prostate through the rectum, and that's just a poor way to detect it in an early stage. Um, Lannis, what are some of the, um, some of the causes, and, and why do we see it um, advance more with African-American men and, and actually be, what, two times uh, more fatal? Yeah, that's a, gr that's a great question. Um, let's first talk about uh, causes. When we talk about risk factors for prostate cancer, we usually think about modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors, and that means what can you change? And you probably heard for several cancers, oh, 
if you don't abuse tobacco or you exercise daily or eat five to nine fruits and vegetables a day, you can lower your risk. The um, unfortunate aspect with prostate cancer is we have a lot of what we call non-modifiable risk factors. Prostate cancer is more common in older men. The average uh, age is 69. Um, it is more common in men with a strong family history, and we can't change that, right? We can't change our family history. And it is much more common, 70% more common, in African-American men. And you can't change your ethnicity or race. So we can't change a lot of the risk factors uh, that lead to this diagnosis, and we don't yet know why African-American men have such a higher incidence of prostate cancer compared to any other ethnic and racial group. But what we do know and what uh, I want to make sure uh, we push today is that when African-American men are treated with guideline-directed care, when they are treated appropriately for the risk group that they are in, that they have equal outcomes. So we find that a lot of other social economic factors like access to care, having adequate um, uh, health insurance, also having quality receipt of surgery and radiation is playing more of a role than the fact that the treatments don't work as effectively. That is just simply not true. What are the treatments for prostate cancer? Is it is it chemo? Is it surgery? Is it combinations of those things? So one of the good things about prostate cancer is that there are varied options uh, for many options for, for men. Truth is that many men with very low volume, early stage prostate cancer should be observed uh, with truly no treatment. We just monitor them very closely. Um, for years, and that uh, so 25% of men could be observed. Uh, there are men who elect to have their prostate removed or receive radiation therapy. Um, there are men who are older who could just get portions of the prostate frozen, um, and some men will receive a medication to lower their male hormone level to control prostate cancer, and this is a good option, especially as men are older or if they have metastatic disease. So, Tom, it's important that men know a little bit about their stage of disease. Uh, there are three things that I say what every man must know. They should know their PSA. They should know the Gleason score. That is the most important factor. That's a number that is given after the biopsy because a prostate cancer diagnosis is made after a biopsy, after tissue has been acquired. Um, and then finally, they should know the stage. Is it confined to the prostate or not? And all that funnels into risk groups. And then you know if you're low risk, as Dr. Bullock just discussed, and where the, the guideline is to, if you can, undergo active surveillance where we actively monitor it but don't immediately treat it because it may not ever become clinically significant. And then there's a, two other risk groups, intermediate and high risk. And that, those two groups typically demand a discussion around surgery and radiation and, and possibly hormone therapy uh, in combination. More about prostate cancer and racial disparity with Drs. Bullock Everybody's and Paul. Everybody's doing Straight a in. brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Tom Summer. Program.com 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about prostate cancer and racial disparity with Drs. Bullock and Hall. Straight ahead. What What is the procedure for diagnosing prostate cancer? Is Is it biopsied the way some cancers are? Is it through x-ray? How do you, how do you determine prostate cancer is present? Well, the most common thing that occurs is, and what we would like, is for a man to see their primary care provider. And on a regular basis, especially if you're over the age of 50 or over 45 if you're in a high-risk group, the PSA is part of your yearly blood testing protocol. Man's PSA is elevated. He gets referred to a urologist. The urologist discusses the pros and cons of a biopsy, the pros and cons of being diagnosed with cancer. Many times we'll do additional blood tests to that, that, that might be a little more sensitive than even the PSA. We could get an MRI to look at the prostate to look to see if there are suspicious lesions in the prostate. But the actual diagnosis is always made by obtaining a piece of tissue through a biopsy, and the pathologist's report says you have prostate cancer. And, and at that point, um, I, I imagine that you can tell how advanced it is and what the treatment protocols might be. Correct. So, yeah, that's correct. So you, you need tissue, and that gives you an important piece of information, as I was saying, one of the most important pieces. And then many times there's staging, having an MRI and a bone scan to determine if there's been any spread to uh, neighboring organs, lymph nodes, or distantly to the bone. I want to point out something, Tom, that is really important, and, and that is screening allows us to detect prostate cancer in its earliest stages. And right now, uh, we know that most men are not undergoing routine screening. Uh, prior to 2012, where there was a lot of controversy about whether to do a PSA or not, screening was around 30 to 35 percent of men undergoing screening, and now it's dropped to under 20 percent. So many men who would have the opportunity to have a prostate cancer detected in its curative stages, early stage, are not having that opportunity. And we actually see that the um, incidence or the development of metastatic disease is rising because there's not enough PSA discussion about the importance of at least understanding the health of the prostate gland by doing that simple blood test. So we really want to point out to African-American men in a disease that has 99% survival if it is found in an early stage, that having that discussion with uh, the importance of a PSA screening uh, should be done. You should advocate for yourself to have that conversation with your primary care physician. And that surprises me because typically, uh, you know, in in most cases of uh, cancer and other diseases, um, screenings are becoming, um, they're going up, they're not going down. What was the controversy about uh, PSA? Well, unfortunately, um, the controversy came from U.S. Preventive Task Force in 2012 
where they suggested that PSA was not uh, effective. But that study had all many flaws. The study was mostly based on European studies. The U.S. studies that were included in that evaluation only had 4% African-American participation. So the group of men who have the highest rate of prostate cancer in the world were underrepresented in that study. I mean, severely underrepresented. Therefore, that study does not apply to um, our U.S. population. And so the results have been reversed, but a lot of the damage has been done in terms of some of the physicians decreasing their discussion of PSA screening. That's why it's on the individual. When you see your physician, you should ask for a PSA test. So, was, so Tom, this, yeah, go ahead. This also, I was just going to say, this also brings up the importance of having a well-run clinical trial. One of the other issues in this study was that it was comparing screening on an annual basis uh, to a control group. But unfortunately, at the end of the study, 80% of the control group had been undergoing screening. So that means there was huge contamination. So the results of the study could not be um, relied upon, despite that there were screening recommendations that went out that basically said, let's not uh, further recommend PSA as a tool. As you know, that brought considerable controversy because this is the best tool that we have to give us a snapshot of the health of the prostate gland. And now we have at least five other tests that you can do to make certain that this PSA, which sometimes isn't um, as accurate as we want it to be, there's other tests we can do before we go to a biopsy so that you don't lead to men having unnecessary biopsies. And we know that more men now uh, understand the principle of what we call a low-risk prostate cancer. That's a prostate cancer that may not require treatment. So all of the concerns that the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force had about PSA being the best test really have been addressed. And at this point, there should be a discussion with every man, particularly men at high risk like African-American men and men with a strong family history, about when to have that snapshot, that PSA, beginning at the age of 40. Are there, um, uh, what was the phrase you used, Lannis? Um, I, I, I think it was modifiable uh, behaviors. Oh, yeah, modifiable risk factors, yeah. And, and are, are those different in the U.S. than in other parts of the world? Um, is, is there a reason why this is uh, that we have higher numbers in the U.S.? That's a controversial point. Some have suggested that African Americans have a higher rate of prostate cancer based on our dietary intake of processed food and fatty foods. Um, and so if you look at populations around the world, uh, let's say um, Asian populations, a person born in Japan has a relatively low risk of prostate cancer, five per 100,000. Um, that first generation um, Japanese American, meaning he has Japanese genes, comes to San Francisco and his rate of prostate cancer goes up several fold in one generation. So you, you have to say there has to be environmental factors, dietary factors, and it can't all be based on genetics then, right? 
um, right? I mean, yeah. Um, so, so some of these. So, I'd like to. One of the points we're trying to make is, if it's not clear, is that before we had PSA, two thirds of African American men already had metastatic disease at the time of diagnosis. So. Um, you can't rely on symptoms, and you can't depend on a finger exam, which most people don't get anymore. After PSA, people have been screened on a regular basis. The rate of metastatic disease in African-American men who participate in screening drops to well below 10%. So you go from two-thirds, 66%, down to under 10%. And so why do we push this need for men to ask for PSA? It's because you can dramatically lower your risk of dying from the most common cancer you could be you could get in your lifetime. And what is the the procedure for PSA? Is it uh especially it's, uncomfortable? No, it's that's the beauty of this. This is a simple blood test. You need a teaspoon of blood taken at a blood draw. So if you're going to, to your primary care physician and they're going to check your kidney function and your cholesterol level and other things, they can just add a PSA onto the already ordered blood test. So it is a very easy test to do to get that first initial snapshot of the health of the prostate gland. And if that PSA is elevated, then that can lead to further discussion on what test should be done next because the PSA is a organ-specific uh, marker. It is specific for the prostate gland, but it is not specific for prostate cancer. So many men may have a slightly elevated PSA. That doesn't mean they have prostate cancer. We have many other tests we can do now to determine is a biopsy necess necessary or is this PSA maybe related to an enlargement of the prostate gland, which is much more common in men? Why isn't the PSA um, an automatic uh, workup in an annual physical? Gets back to that controversy and, and screening. Uh, I think we think it should be um, a discussion, and it goes back to the fact that each year, uh, there's about 1 million to 1.1 million biopsies being done for an elevated PSA. However, as we just talked about, about 250,000 men are expected to be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year or a little bit less. So that means that there were a lot of biopsies that were done potentially, uh, unnecessarily, right, because those were negative biopsies. Well, we know now that there are many tests that we can do before you go directly to a biopsy, from an MRI imaging to really determine if there is an abnormality in any part of the prostate gland that would help to direct a biopsy, or there are other what we call biomarkers that will let us know if that elevation in the PSA is due to benign normal tissue or to cancerous tissue. But Tom, don't, don't get us wrong. The PSA is an excellent test by itself. Yes. It is an excellent test. When you compare um, PSA, let's say, to mammogram, what's the, you know, there's a suspicious lesion on the mammogram. Does that mean you have breast cancer? Absolutely not. Most people who have a mammogram, suspicious, the biopsy is not positive. Most people get a colonoscopy even if they have a polyp. Most polyps aren't positive. 
So it's no different than with the prostate um, PSA and a prostate biopsy. How long does the prostate biopsy actually take? Four minutes. It's a four-minute office procedure. You drive yourself in right after you had breakfast, and you drive yourself out. Is is the um, is is there still controversy among doctors, or have doctors pretty much come around that that PSA is a good screening uh, procedure? There is I think controversy. there's a lot. Well, I think there's a lot of confusion, um, and what has been so sad in all of this is what Dr. Bullock brought out earlier. Uh, African American men have the highest incidence of prostate cancer in the world and the highest mortality rate. And yet we have a tool that will allow us to help to diagnose prostate cancer in a curable, highly curable stage. But yet because of the controversy over uh, unnecessary biopsies and some men being treated that may not need treatment, they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and guidelines back in 2012 and said no man should ever be treated. Now, they reversed themselves in 2017, but the damage had been done and the confusion remains. And so that's why this conversation with you is so important that we educate uh, physicians to the fact that we have so many other tests now to help determine if a biopsy is necessary and more tests to determine if treatment is indicated and we have guidelines that are being followed for men who have very insignificant what we call indolent prostate cancers that don't require immediate treatment all of that um, has changed the the way that we look at PSA but a lot of the primary care physicians are still confused about it it is really just a initial snapshot of the health of the prostate gland it is not diagnosing prostate cancer and it's a simple blood test that can be added on to a regular routine blood panel. Are more men um, going to doctors, especially African-American men, are they going to doctors on a regular basis? And, and is it uh, as easy as, as just, just simply saying, you know, I want to be checked for this? Well, Tom, one of the problems is that this COVID um, crisis has worsened this already terrible disparity. Um, there are fewer people going to physicians. There's far um, fewer men undergoing screening over the past year and a half. If you look at the rate of um, people presenting with more advanced disease, we're already seeing a change. And so it is imperative that this information get out that despite um, COVID, going to see your physician, going to get screened for prostate cancer is still a good thing. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, people need to take onus on their own care and, and make sure they're still participating in preventive health care and regular physician visits. Are organizations like the American Cancer Society um, effective in getting the word out about uh, getting screened for these things? We appreciate the American Cancer Society because during this uh, controversy around PSA screening from one uh, uh, policy group, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, 
the um, American Cancer Society uh, was steady in their recommendation of having the discussion with your health care provider about the importance of PSA screening and that all men uh, at the age of 50 should have that discussion about the benefits and risks of screening with the PSA. And at the age of 45, all African-American men, because they recognized they were high risk, they never wavered from the importance of having uh, that discussion and performing a PSA because it has been so responsible in changing the paradigm from presenting with metastatic incurable disease that requires lifelong treatment to curative disease of 99% if found in its earliest stages. So we appreciate the American Cancer Society. They've done great advocacy in this area, um, but unfortunately, because of the confusion from other gui uh, guidelines, their, their, the screening rates have just dropped. They plummeted, and as Dr. Bullock said, uh, during COVID, not just prostate, but all preventative screenings have taken a, a significant hit, as expected. Is there, um, I'm, I'm reading a statistic here that says black men are over two times more likely to die from prostate cancer than white men. In these cases that result in death, are, how often are these completely undiagnosed and perhaps pointing to the fact that black men are seeing doctors less frequently than white men? Well, that number is real. Um, the, that's the highlight of the disparity in prostate cancer, both in prevalence, how common it is, diagnosed in the different racial groups, and, and then the death from it. And, and, but we have studies that show that if African Americans present with the same stage and comparable PSAs to white Americans, the outcomes are the same. If the African Americans get the same treatment at the same stage of disease, it's not that African Americans inherently the therapy doesn't work. So this is a problem with later stage of diagnosis, less likelihood of getting a PSA, more likely to be diagnosed with higher stage disease, a longer delay to treatment, and unfortunately, more likely to choose the less effective treatment. So and I want to, I'm going to be a little more pointed here. We also know from studies that um, many times there can be a diagnosis and the treatment options that are delivered, meaning are they receiving quality radiation in quality radiation centers? Are they receiving surgery in a timely fashion? So... Tom, unfortunately, just like we see disparities in every other area of life, there's no surprise that we don't see disparities in, in a racial difference in the receipt of quality treatment. So um, this gets to the importance of clinical trials. It's because of clinical trials where everything is standardized. Everyone's receiving the same level of care. Where we, where we have gleaned that the outcomes from African-American men compared to white men are no different. So when you give quality treatment and you standardize the treatment, there is no difference in outcome. When we get out here in life and all of these other social economic issues, 
and equity and equity it becomes part of the equation are you getting equitable care uh then we see these disparities so this really points to the importance of having uh advocating for yourself and going to a quality center and knowing that you're getting guideline directed care you're getting care that you should get for the stage of your disease and the risk group that you're in does that make yeah, it does, and and unfortunately, we uh, we have to wrap it up here um, fairly quickly. Um, my guests are uh, Dr. Arnold Bullock; he's a surgeon and urologist, and Dr. Lannis Hall; she is a radiation uh, radiation oncologist. Um, I I always give guests an opportunity, and, and there's lots more we could uh, discuss about this, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Um, are there some, some good resources where people can educate themselves a little bit, websites and so on? There are numerous websites. The one I would throw out with, uh, would be the one from estellas.com. Know Your Prostate, um, Lannis? The American Cancer Society, you can just put that in uh, your www.cancer.gov. Excellent information uh, on uh, prostate cancer risk, uh, diagnosis, treatment, and support groups. So uh, I think those two websites would be a great start. Well, thank you both for spending this time with me this morning and talking about this uh, important uh, information and keep up the good work we appreciate have a great day thank you so much all right thank you dr arnold bullock and uh, dr lannis hall talking about prostate cancer and racial disparity with regard to prostate cancer we'll have more of the tom sumner program Yeah, that's big, great. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. 
and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. The Tom Summer Program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. After seven years of cycloid insomnia, or slugger's disease, John Bickerson had finally consented to allow Dr. Hershey to relieve his condition. In room 113 at the General Hospital, Mrs. Bickerson watches anxiously as a surgical nurse ministers to poor John, who is suffering an attack the night before the operation. Listen. Oh, it's like being married to a steam shovel nurse. Cough's normal. Enjoy yourself, dear. Dr. Hershey's waiting for you in the corridor, Mrs. Bickerson. Oh, hello, doctor. Is he resting? I gave him a sedative. That'll quiet him down. Well, he isn't very quiet. Oh, well, actually, I could have done the operation in my office. It's so trivial. I won't be in surgery over 15 minutes, and there's absolutely no danger whatsoever. Will it hurt him? Not the slightest. All we do is take a stitch in his palate and shorten his uvula. I hate to bring this up now, Dr. Hershey, but how much will it cost? The fee will be $50 with the anesthetic. How much is it without the anesthetic? (laughs) I would say about $40. Would there be any discomfort if he didn't have an anesthetic? Not for me, there wouldn't. I wouldn't advise the operation without it. And you're sure he'll be cured when you're through? Oh, practically certain. Well, it's almost midnight now. I'll do his case first thing about seven. He just needs a good night's rest. Well, I'll just stay a little longer. Good night. Call the floor nurse if you need anything. Oh, I will. I hope that pill's quieted him down. I'm sure that isn't doing him any good. John! John, wake up! What? What's the matter, Blanche? Uh, what's the matter, huh? I put the cat out, I locked the windows, I left a note for the milkman, and I, and I hung up... John, uh, we're in the hospital. What for? Is somebody sick? No, you're going to have an operation. Dr. Hershey's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Well, then what did you wake me up now for? Well, you were snoring, and I was afraid you'd wear it off before you got a chance to operate. You've been snoring steadily for three hours. Don't you suppose I want to sleep, too? You're not sleeping here, are you? Yes, I am. It costs another $5 to put another cart in the room. And I intend to use it. I can't get one night's sleep. Where's my nightgown? Not even in the hospital. I don't understand why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring. I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do this. I'm beginning to think it was a waste of money. I could have used that $40. I'm still walking around in a short dress. What are you going on about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around with a short uvula. Don't be so crabby. I'm not crabby. I'm just sleepy. Why don't you stop fiddling with that mirror and put out the lights? I have to get undressed, don't I? Well, take your dress off. Why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of night? I'm not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes. False eyelashes? I didn't even know you had bald eyelids. My eyelids are not bald. It's just that my lashes are short, and they don't bring out my eyes. 
Lots of women use false eyelashes. Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. Really? Really. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now. What kind of a remark is that? Oh, hurry up, Blanche. I'm groggy. Blanche, what on earth are you taking out of your hair? It's a rat. A what? A roll of false hair. I have to wear it for the new hairstyles. My own hair is too thin with a pompadour. Oh, darn it, I can't get out of this dress. Blanche, what are those things? Haven't you ever seen shoulder pads before? Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Your eyelashes are on the dresser, your hair is in the drawer, and your shoulders are on the chairs. What about it? That's you all over, Blanche. No one can think of more ways to spend money. Are you ready for bed now? Yes, dear. I'm ready for bed. Shall I crank yours up a little? No, put out the lights. Oh, I wanted to glance at the paper first. You go ahead and go to sleep. I can't sleep with the lights on. I left my sleep shade at home. Well, I won't be a minute. No one would believe this. In six hours, they're going to carve me to pieces. I'm supposed to rest, and here I'm... Shh! I can't concentrate with you mumbling. (laughs) There's certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk. Listen to what's... Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself. Don't be so disagreeable. Dr. Hershey told me to keep you occupied so you wouldn't think about the operation. All I'm thinking about is sleep. Oh, that's a good boy. You mustn't get nervous. No. I see the stock market is going up. That's fine. We have some stock, haven't we? Didn't you get some stock last year? Ten shares. Kentucky Salt Peterman. Preferred stock. My brother got you in on the ground floor, didn't he? Where is that now? In the ground. I can't even find it listed on the stock page. Look in the help wanted column. Are you getting relaxed, dear? No. Now I'm starting to get nervous. I'm worried about you, John. If anything happened to you on the operating table, it would all be my fault. So, you know what I think? We'll, uh, sneak out, huh? No. I think you should make out a will. Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercies of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead, they Don't talk like that. Can't you say pass on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. That's only when I'm talking to your brother. You could be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute. Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. Every man should make out a will. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. Get up now. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, and make out a will. Well, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. Nobody is going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You are the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will, and nobody can touch anything besides you. Okay, so now... You've got it all, my worldly goods. First thing you know, you'll get over your grief, marry a guy without a dollar to his name like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Hershey. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. He'll give up his practice, take you for every penny, my hard-earned money. He'll drive around my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, (laughs) loaf around like the French, 
Never do a day's work. Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? And then screaming like that. Push up and go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. I'm a nervous wreck. She practically walks me into a funeral. Mary's a doctor behind my back. Now she tells me to go to sleep. I'll never sleep. Another wink as long as I... John, the telephone. The telephone. Answer no. it! Who, who the dickens is calling? Who moved the phone, Blanche? What'd you get up for? It's right on the night table beside your bed. I thought I was, uh... Hello? Mrs. Renesses, this is your maternity nurse. You can get ready now. I'm bringing your baby in. What? Blanche, how long have I been here? Isn't he 413? I don't know what this is, but I'm not feeding any babies. A way to run a hospital. It's just a mistake, John. No, I shouldn't have fallen for this operation deal. I could be so comfortable at home in my own bed. One of us should have stayed there. What for? How do you know a prowler won't break in? I left a whole bottle of bourbon on the dresser. Nobody will break in. The turkey would gobble and scare him away. The turkey would gobble? I can just see... Turkey? What turkey? Well, I was going to surprise you. I won a turkey in a raffle, John. You've got a live turkey running around the house? He isn't running around. I've got him tied to your bed. On my bed? What'd you do that for? I'll have the whole thing full of feathers. What'll we do with a live turkey? Well, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, John, and I thought you'd murder him for dinner. I'm not going to murder any turkeys. But if he lays a beak on my bourbon, I'll chop his head off. Blanche, you're the most impossible woman that ever lived. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I guess everything I do is wrong. I'll go home and put the turkey out. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind. I didn't mean to holler. Let's go to sleep so I can feel good for the operation. I don't think I want you to have it. What's the least I can do for you? Kept you awake all these years with my snoring, and when Dr. Hershey gets through with me, I'll be as quiet as a mouse. But if you stop snoring, I'll never wake you up, will I? No. And if I don't wake you up, we won't fight, will we? That's right. Well, that settles it. I'm not going to let him operate, John. Why not? It's the only chance I get to talk to you. Come on, we're going home. I give up.
Alexander Zajic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Summer.